I don't think all of last year, at least that I recall, I never really got to do on Thursday nights what I, what I enjoy doing, and that's getting to spend a couple of weeks on a subject. And um, I, I think if what I feel is the case, what the Lord's going to allow me to do, I think tonight may be the start of that. So, And, the, and there will, actually, again, there will probably be a few things that um, I'm about to teach, share, that, that tie into to what I just said, um, but I want to I, I want to talk to you. And this is something that's kind of been just churning in my spirit for for several weeks now. So I want to I, I want to or hopefully the Lord, but I want to I want to talk to you starting tonight on on principle versus preference. Principle versus preference. Because I think some of us mistake these, and we interchange these. And so uh, I, I want us to, I feel for us to kind of dig into this a little bit. So I realize neither one of these words are um, words that you're, you're unfamiliar with, but I, I want to, just, just to kind of get us on the same page here, I want to give you the, some definitions of these two words, a a preference, according to the Oxford Dictionary, is a greater liking for one alternative over another or others. Webster's defines or says that a preference suggests a choice guided by one's judgment or predilections. Predilections, predilections, and first time I've ever heard that word was today, read it today, that is a a bias in favor of something. Article I found says, what is preferences? Preferences refer to certain characteristics any consumer wants to have in a good or service to make it preferable to him. This could be the level of happiness, degree of satisfaction, Utility from the product, etc. Description of preferences. Preferences are the main factors that influence consumer demand. How many pickup truck or if you could get a pickup truck owners do we have here tonight that you have or your preference is Ford? Brother Johnson, go. I saw him back there earlier. I, uh, he, he he must be taking care of something. Cause I, how, how many of you Chevrolet? We got any got any Dodge folks here? Yeah, we got a hand. Got up. Oh, we got one. How about how about any any uh, Tundra Toyota? Oh, we got a few there. Right. Yeah. I don't know what other main pickup trucks are we missing. That cyber truck, yeah. <laughs> Elon Musk's truck. It it is it is your preference. The problem is, if we're not careful, we argue our preferences as if they are fact or as if they are principles. In a lot of areas, there is no issue with your preferences. There's numerous categories tonight we could 
we could, we could talk about preferences. Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's. Domino's versus Papa John's. Some of us say neither. Let's go to Bella Italia and Arnold. I know I think I got Brother Mike McGurk with me on that, unless he sold me out for another place. I don't, my, 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 one of my kids at least, if they're influencing, that they want to go to, to uh, what's it called in Arnold? Pizza Bullies. Pizza Bolt, you got Bella Italia. Why do you want to go to pizza? But it's, it's preference. It's, it's okay. Let's look at the word principle. According to the Oxford Dictionary, a principle is a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior. The Britannica Dictionary says a principle is a moral rule or belief that helps you know what is right and wrong and that influences your actions. It is a basic truth or theory, an idea that forms the basis of something And need I say that our principles should be based on the Word of God. So when we read moral rules or beliefs that helps you know what is right and wrong, in this context, we're saying that in the context of the Word of God. Hebrews 5 and 12 says, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong drink. You, 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 you should have had these principles well established by now. You, you shouldn't have to be taught these principles over and over. The, 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 the couple of verses later, it's the next chapter, and it's where it says that, Wherefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, and, 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 and that, that leaving of those principles does not mean an, an abandoning. It's not a neglecting or a forsaking of those principles of the doctrine of Christ. What, what it is, what it's saying is, let's get these things established so that we can move on. I, I, I know some of you are wondering what's going on. You're not the only one. Uh, I don't know. Most of you probably got here in the dark. There is, there is uh, roofing going on on the, the foyer started a day or so ago. And there's actually a good amount of things happening inside of the foyer. So um, if you want to know when it's going to be done and we're gonna, when we're going to be in it, Jesus knows and that's all that matters. Turn your eyes on Jesus. I know a few of you, especially some of you that have construction experience, you've wondered and some of you have even voiced, you know, whatever. But, but, but in spite of that, what would you think if, if for the last couple of years you showed up and there was a foundation slab in place and then a next couple of weeks later you show up and it was dug up and it's being put back in again? And then you come back a couple of weeks later, it's dug up, and you're putting it back again. Brother Lewis said on the second one, somebody's crazy. What in the world are they on the third one? 
What you expect is, let's go. We, we absolutely need the foundation. A building cannot last without a proper foundation. But let's get the foundation done and let's go on to the structure. Let's get some walls. Let's get a roof. Let's get some, some paint. Let's get some lights. Let's get some HVAC. Let's enjoy the space. But how many times do individuals, and, and maybe even not just individuals, but churches, keep putting the foundation down? Let's dig it up. Put it down, dig it up. Let's, what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is these principles, you, they ought to be established in your life. Let's go on to bigger and better things. Use this probably way too many times, but what in the world would you do if you walked into your freshman year of high school or your freshman year of college and the teacher very seriously said to all of you, on the count of three, join with me. One, two, three. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Twelve, sixteen, seventeen years ago, that was an awesome song. I, 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 it's, it's faded memories now, but there's faded memories of my kid, well, you know, when they, they'd start to learn that and a couple of those letters just all blurred together. Or... That was so awesome. You get around their grandparents, you get around other people. Listen, listen, listen. I, if I got Julian up here tonight, they'd never say, listen, listen to what Julian can do. And he started singing that. You'd all go, we might need to talk to Brother Isaac and Sister Lacey if we're celebrating. Let's go on. You know why some people get tired of church? Because they won't get the foundation laid and move on to something else. But, 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 but again, you need the principles. And the principles are not negotiable. I read to you the English of the word definition of principle. Let's look at the Greek word in these verses. The word principle is, uh, you don't know what those numbers are. Every Greek or Hebrew word has a number for reference and whatever, so I don't normally include it, but we're going to dig down here a little bit. But this word is a neuter of a presumed derivative of the base of New Testament, I feel so educated when I say that phrase there. Never said that phrase in my whole life, so it makes me feel smart. Something, but it, a principle is something orderly in arrangement. By implication, a serial, not frosted flakes or honeycombs, whatever. A basal fundamental initial constituent. It is a proposition. It also is any first thing, here we go, any first thing from which the others belonging to some series or composite whole take their rise, an element, first principle. That has got to be the Word of God. 
And the Word of God is not just your first principle when it comes to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night. The Word of God should be the first principle in every aspect, every area of your life. In your relationships, in your, on your job, your conduct, whatever it is. The Word of God is the first principle that everything else has got to come from. If it's not that, then whatever foundation you're building on, is a shaky foundation. And as long as there's no storms, it may not matter, but storms will come and the foundation you've built upon will be revealed. Thayer's Greek lexicon says that this word means the elements from which all things have come, the material causes of the universe. It's the elements, rudiments, primary and fundamental principles. And if anybody still needs any more evidence or argument on this subject, just go to John 1 and start with verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh, but it all started with the Word. You can't separate God and His Word. Everything should be built on His Word. Not built on popular opinion. Not built on what society says. Not built on what Washington says. Not built on what the media, Hollywood, whatever else says. But it should be built on the Word of God that does not change. I'm, I'm preaching tonight. That's when you teach it, preach. Teaching is more subdued, but I just kind of worked up. So back to that neuter of a presumed derivative. Here it is. (laughs) It is to range in regular line. It is to march in military rank to keep step, figuratively to conform to virtue and piety. A number of times in my life, I've, I've, I've had the chance a couple times now, I think two times through the years to, to uh, see the, uh, the, the, the silent drill team of the Marine Corps. And that's an amazing thing to watch. There have been a few times I've, I've watched, actually more than a few times, I've through the years been to a bunch of Navy football games, and oftentimes if you've never been to a Navy football game at home, they, they have the march on, and um, I guess the majority, it's not all, I don't think, but the great majority or a whole bunch of the midshipmen march on. And, and you can watch, especially when they're, they're one of those companies are coming right in front of you, and you can look and watching line after line of feet that are absolutely perfectly in sync. There, there, there's somebody that, that sets that pace that, that, that everybody else has to follow. That's what a principle is. It's not, it's not you bringing things into step with you. It's you getting in step with something else. And again, what you ought to be getting in step with is the Word of God. But let's be honest, you can get in step with a lot of things. To conform to virtue and piety, and piety in essence is just it's religion. I know we oftentimes reference religion in a negative sense, but in this context, in a, in a positive sense. Here, here's, here's what just boggles my mind. 
try not to get ahead of myself a little bit here, but all of, all of these people that have all of this, this, have come to this understanding and revelation that things that they were taught all their lives is, is not necessary, it, it's, it, it doesn't matter, and that churches and, you know, certain churches have made mountains out of molehills, they, they just prove they are clueless of the Word of God. Clueless. Because I realize we reference the Old and the New Testament, but I'm here to tell you tonight, the Old and the, two net, the, old and the New Testament, it's not your preference of which one you like. It's not your preference of which one you want to spend the most time in. It's, it's, it's one Bible. And, and it's been said by some, by some modern day preachers that, that we just we don't need the Old Testament. You, you can't, in fact, I'll read it to you here in a moment. One of the commentaries I will use will, will state it. Thank God we don't have any um, bad um, TV series advertisements up there. That's happened a few times through the years when we've had issues and Apple TV pops up. We have, um, you know, oh my God, so... Um, where was I? <laughs> you 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 need some Old Testament perspective to understand the new. You need some Old Testament perspective to have a greater appreciation of the new. So I, I, I hope these next I hope these next few moments I, I really hope you don't get like kind of bored. I, I hope you won't because it I, I'm just gonna tell you, I'm not trying to plant negative thoughts in your mind. It, it from one perspective I will tell you I think some of what I'm about to communicate, you could just kind of write it off as kind of being trivial, or whatever. But 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 it's not. It's some, it's some principles that, that you need to get some degree of a grasp on. You know, what, what do you think would have happened in the wilderness? Jesus gets baptized. He's, he's led of the Spirit into the wilderness. And, and 40 days of fasting. And, and, and then, then Satan shows up to tempt him. What do you think would have happened... If, if Satan would have showed up and, and he said, you know, okay, if you, if you are the Son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. What do you think would have happened if Jesus would have responded and said, um, b- before I do that, I, I need to go get on my Bible software. I, n- I need to look up what the answer should be. I need to, uh, I need to, I need to figure out what I should do or not do. I understand Jesus is God manifested in the flesh and He's the Word made. I get all of that, but let's just, from the human side of it, for a moment. Problem is, there's a lot of Christians, and I would venture to say there's even a lot of apostolics that when put in a moment of crisis and needing to make a decision, they don't have something hid in their heart to just come to mind. They need to go get their... Their, their Bible study software, they need to go talk to their deacon, their youth pastor, their young adult leader, the pastor. But, you know, pa- what, pastor, what am I supposed to say about this? 
What, what, are, what do we believe? How about, what, what does Antioch teach? You know what? It, it's, it's a common starting place for every new believer to kind of start there. And they start doing things and, and sort of practicing things because that's what the church teaches. But if you don't get beyond where it's what the church teaches to where it's what you believe, it's the principles you live by, I promise you it won't last. And I guarantee you your preferences will eventually overrule the principles. So... From, this, is, this is from Bible.org, and I got the link there if you want to look it up, read it more, whatever, later. But The Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, both Hebrew and Christian. This is, let's, just, let's just clarify this, just, just for the record's sake. This is not a United Pentecostal Church International endorsed website. In fact, you probably could go on this same website and look some other stuff up that I probably, hopefully you, would probably agree with me that we don't agree with. But at the same time, I think sometimes, well, that's just what the, that's just what the UPC teaches. Go back to what I said earlier. Show me somebody that uses that phrase, and again, ding, 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 ding. I'll show you somebody that's offended. You know what, I, I sure hope, there, there's a whole, there's millions of people out there that I would expect to have an issue with what I'm saying tonight. But I hope and pray that sitting in this room right now are people, they're, they're, that I pray there's not people that you're sitting there arguing and debating with me. It's one thing to struggle to understand and want to under, but, but, but to, oh, Hallelujah. So, the first five books of the Bible, both Hebrew and Christian, are foundational to all of Scripture. Those first five books are foundational to all of Scripture and rank as one of the most important portions of the Word of God. Yeah, Leviticus. Numbers. That the only time some people ever read them is when they're reading the Bible through. And the only way you can say you read the Bible through is you got to read Leviticus and Numbers. And yet I just read to you where it stated that those are some of the most important portions of the Word of God. And I will testify to the to that fact tonight that afresh and anew. Because in the course of the last several months I started in Genesis, I'm now in Leviticus. And there's some really important principles that will give you some foundation to overcome your preferences. This is so because it's theological and historic because its theological and historical revelations are necessary for an understanding of the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. 
These five books contain, for example, God's revelation about the origin of the world with its emphasis on the creation of man in the image of God, how sin entered human history and the judgment that followed, and the origin of the nation of Israel and its covenant relationship to Yahweh. Did I get those right? Okay, thank you. (laughs) I I, I have a tendency to butcher the word origin. My southern roots, I think. It, it's foundational. It's fundamental. So I, I, I want to, and here's the part that I said, well, that I meant, that maybe, hopefully you don't just go, that's ah, just trivial, whatever, but, but hopefully you'll, 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 you'll stay engaged and, 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 and see some rele- relevance of this. Because I, I, I want to give you some, some, some of, of what a couple of commentaries say uh, about sort of the context of these books. Because, again, when you're getting into what your preferences are, the only way to choose to live by your preferences is to ignore the principles. So, so uh, let, let, let's start here with, with the book of Exodus. This is according to Barnes Notes. The book of Exodus consists of two distinct portions. The first, chapters 1 through 19, gives a detailed account of the circumstances under which the deliverance of the Israelites was accomplished. The second chapters, the, the second chapters 20 through 40, describe the giving of the law and the institutions which completed the organization of the people as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The name Exodus, the going forth assigned to it by the Alexandrian Jews, applies rather to the former portion than to the whole book. So when we reference Exodus and think about that, the Exodus is really only the first half or so of the book. After that, that, that there's way more to it than just the story of a nation of people miraculously coming out of bondage. Leviticus. Adam Clark says this, the Greek version, Greek version of the Septuagint and the Vulgate Latin have given the title of Leviticus to the third book of the Pentateuch, and the name has been retained in almost all modern versions. The book was thus called because it treats principally of the laws and regulations of the Levites and priests in general. How many commandments did God give Moses? How many commandments did God give Moses? I am so genuinely encouraged by the fact I did not hear one person shout out ten. I'm very serious. I'm being frivolous. I am very encouraged that nobody yelled ten. Because that's usually what we talk about, the ten commandments. I can't ever seem to remember the exact number. What is it some of you are saying? 613. 613 commandments that God gave Moses. Just, just, just put a little mental note on that. This book was thus called because it treats principally of the laws and regulations of the Levites and priests in general. 
Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown says this about Leviticus, the first Hebrew word of the book. I'm not going to try to pronounce them. The designation was given to this portion of the Pentateuch as treating of the laws, of the laws relating to the ritual, the services, the sacrifices of the Jewish religion, the superintendence of which was entrusted to the Levitical priesthood. It is chiefly, however, the duty, the duties of the priest, the sons of Aaron, which this book describes. And although the title of this portion naturally read, leads the reader to expect an account of the particular services required to the Levites, who were the second branch of the Levitical tribe, it is devoted exclusively to the various functions, charges, privileges, and seasons of sacred work proper to the priesthood. While the arrangements pertaining to the inferior order of the Levites are detailed in the subsequent book. The ceremonial system of the Mosaic dispensation appears here in all its parts. For the laws respecting every ritual observance are generally given in extenso. And while the moral law was given in few. How do you say it? I added the boldness. There's a more proper way to say that. I added the the bold to the letters. How do I say that, Brother Ellen Berker? wasn't in the original. I put the bold there. Bold added for emphasis, whatever. I'm going to go read that other neuter of the derivative so I can sound <laughs> intelligent again. But plain and easily remembered principles. Plain and easily remembered principles. The elaborate routine of outward observances in which the religion of the Israelites mainly consisted was admirably adapted to the character and circumstances of a rude people calculated to strike... And that's not talking about rude in the sense of manners. Calculated to strike their senses and to keep them in constant occupation as they were met by some some one of its requirements every day and almost every moment. 613 laws that something pretty much applies to every day and every moment of your life. You say, well, Pastor, that just, that just said it was about the Levites and the priests. Mm. Remind me of that in a moment. Oh, actually, right now. If you think, well, you know, okay, what does that have to do with us? Because that just said, the Levites, the priests, that was all about them. Okay, glad you asked. Revelations 1, 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Read this next verse with me together out loud if you would. And hath made... Let's try that again. Read this next verse out loud with me, if you would, please. Well, you should be following along in your Bibles. Come on. Sorry. I know you don't have it on the screen. My bad. Any of you that have a device or a Bible, read it out loud with me. 
Any of you that have ever heard this verse and might recognize it, quote it out loud with me. (laughs) And hath made us, for those of you that have no idea what the verse said, it's us, so ready? Hath made us, hath made us, say that's me. Look at, the, look at the person on the right and tell them. I always under, don't understand how that works when somebody tells you the specific, because if I turn that way and I'm looking at the back of the head, right? Look at somebody and say, that's you. He has made us kings and priests. Unto God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So those that want to say, what in the world does Leviticus have to do with us? Because that was for the priests. In the New Testament, you and I have been made kings and priests. So we, we should want to understand the principles that the priests live by. Well, that's Old Testament and that's the law. We're not under the law anymore. You are absolutely right in some context. But here's the problem. People show their ignorance when they say that. I hope this is good on your end because I'm enjoying this on my end tonight. That isn't always the case. So sometimes I worry about what you think tonight. I don't really care. I'm I'm having a good time. (laughs) When a person wants to argue, well, we're not under the law anymore, so we don't have to X, Y, and Z, they are showing you Because if they have any real understanding of Scripture, you don't want to talk about that. The law said if you commit adultery, you should be punished. But you got to actually physically commit it. The New Testament that frees us from that says if you lust after a woman in your heart, So all those that want to live in the new because we're not in the old because you don't have a clue. We know that we can't do the old through our flesh and, and natural ability, but the old was easier than the new. In the old, it was about what you did or didn't do. In the new, it's also about what goes on up here, whether you do it or not. I don't know what you think, but that the other was a whole lot easier. We are kings and priests, and so Exodus, Leviticus. Now, now let's 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 go to, to the last one here, Deuteronomy. I, I preached about this several months ago, or used it in a message several months ago. But but listen to this, Deuteronomy. Adam Clark says we have borrowed the name of this book, as in former cases. I was going to take a drink of water and. Y'all got me messed up because you wouldn't read with me. We have borrowed. I'm staring at the same thing you're staring at. I don't know why. Just, just too locked in. We have borrowed the name of this book as in former cases from the Vulgate Latin Deuteronomy. As that sounds like something on the uh, elements chart. As the Vulgate has done from the Greek version of the Septuagint, Deuteronomium is, which is a compound term literally signifying the second law because it seems to contain a repetition of the preceding laws from which circumstance it has been termed by the rabbis Mishni, the 
the iteration or doubling. It appears that both of these names are borrowed from Deuteronomy 17, 18, where the king is commanded to write him a copy of this law. The original is Mishneo, I'm not even going to try all those, a repetition or doubling of the law, which the Septuagint have translated to Deuteronomium, the second law, which we properly enough translate a copy of the law, but in Hebrew, like the preceding books, it is, takes its name from its commencement. The book of Deuteronomy contains an account, listen to this, the book of Deuteronomy contains an account of what passed in the wilderness from the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year. After the departure of the Israelites from Egypt to the seventh day of the 12th month of the same, making in the whole a history of the transactions of exactly five weeks, the months of the Jews being lunar, the history is continued about seven days after the death of Moses, for he began to deliver his first discourse to the people in the plains of Moab the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year and died on the first day of the 12th month of the same year. Barnes note says this, the ordinary name of the book is derived through the Septuagint and Vulgate from that, from that sometimes employed by the Jews, repetition of the law, and indicates correctly enough the character and contents of the book. Note, the contents of Deuteronomy consist, one, of the three addresses to the people delivered by Moses in the 11th month of the 40th year after the Exodus, Deuteronomy one. After the Exodus, Deuteronomy 1 through 30, and, of, and number two, of certain final acts and words of Moses, namely the solemn appointment of his successor, Deuteronomy 31, his song, Deuteronomy 32, and blessing, Deuteronomy 33, which together with the account of his death, Deuteronomy 34, form an appropriate conclusion to the book and to the whole Pentateuch. Part two was probably added to the rest by Joshua or some other duly authorized prophet or leader of the people after the death of Moses. The bulk of Deuteronomy, the bulk of Deuteronomy consists of addresses spoken within the space of 40 days and beginning on the first day of the 11th month in the 40th year. And in essence, what all of that is saying is what was spoken in Deuteronomy, the 11th month of the 40th year, was a recapping of what was spoken in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. In essence, what was, what, what was happening was you are about to enter the land that God promised. You're about to enter the land that we left Egypt 40 years ago for. And now that you're about to enter that land, you need to be reminded of the principles that you are supposed to live by in that land. I'm not saying any of this as a scholar. I'm saying this as a student. What I'm about to say, I'm just saying it as a student of the Word. You read Exodus. Again, as we've already read, part of it is they're coming out of Egypt. It's that story. It's the history of them coming out. But, but in essence, immediately out of Egypt, 
It begins to be God's establishing of His covenant with Israel and and the expectations of that. And and He begins to give some laws on on how you're supposed to live, what you're supposed to do. It's in Exodus where He begins to give Moses instructions on the building of the tabernacle and the instruments and the, the furniture and how it's the dimensions and the details of how it's supposed to be built. And so Exodus and, 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 and Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus all the way into, I, if I'm, I, I looked it up earlier today and I can't remember exactly offhand, but, but help me out if I'm wrong, through, through a good portion of numbers. It's really all about God establishing Israel as as a congregation. Natural group of people, yes, but but they're they're on not that they didn't make some mistakes already along the way, but 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 it's it's not until Moses sends the spies into the promised land and they come back and Joshua and Caleb say, We are well able, let's go, let's do this, and the other ten rise up and say, We can't do this. And and, and then at that point, they're now off track with what God, because God brought them out of Egypt to take them into the wilderness. He brought them out of Egypt to establish the principles and the laws and the things to live by in the promised land, but He intended for them to come out and go in. He didn't intend for them to wander in that wilderness for 40 years. So then we get, again, we get to Deuteronomy, and, and I didn't know this until just a couple of months. Maybe you've known this all your life, but I, I didn't realize, I didn't understand until just several months ago that, that Deuteronomy encompasses about 40 days in the 40th year. And again, it's, it's God sending word, message to His people that say, hey, you're, you're about to go in the land that I promised you, and I need you to make sure you got these principles established if you if you've never and, and I'm, I'm I'm reading I, I I don't necessarily encourage you as a choice to, to do this but I'm currently in my last couple of months of reading I'm using the amplified Bible I say that I don't necessarily encourage you because sometimes it can be a little wordy actually some of these other translations have a little better flow, but sometimes you get in those brackets in the Amplified Bible, but there's also some really great stuff there. Of course, part of the benefit of reading other translations sometimes is the fact it, it breaks some things down into a lot more practical terms. I mean, you can read, the, you can read those 600-and-something laws in the King James, and a lot of them... You know, they basically make sense. But I'll tell you what, you read some of them in some other translations, and, and, and they, you, you get what they're saying. And it covers, it, it covers business, it covers diet, it covers clothes, it covers relationships. For pretty much every time I ever reference this, I, I give this same example. There, there, there's a law, God gave a law in there that if you have a house that has a flat roof on it, put a fence on the roof. What in the world? God, it's a house. It's a, it, put a fence on it. Make sure nobody falls off. Is the point the, the roof and the fence? 
I, I, I mean, I guess in some ways maybe. But, but the point is, in that first congregation, God was establishing principles that were to be lived by for all of time. Notice, I, I'm not, when I say principles, I'm not talking about some of the, the specific laws, I'm, but I'm talking about, first of all, the principle, and, and let me just let me summarize it this way, the principle that God is interested in governing every single area of your life. From my perspective, those 613 laws were to give the were to give the strong message. I've got something to say about everything in your life. <laughs> so you say, well, well, that, that was okay. Well, how about this? Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord. I change not. Numbers 23.19 in the contemporary Jewish Bible. God is not a human who lies or a mortal who changes his mind. When he says something, he will do it. When he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. And Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I realize if you believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, then you may view this a little bit different. But since we believe that Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh, when we say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we are saying God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So for all those enlightened people out there that say a bunch of these things don't matter and you can be a Christian and you can have a great relationship with God and you can go to heaven, and, 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 but it doesn't matter how you dress, where you go, what you do, then I just, I just need one thing answered. When did God change? The problem is, if God changed, what in the world are we doing here? Because He said He would not change. So in essence, when somebody tells you, you don't have to really do this and that, and it doesn't really, what they're telling you is, I have decided to live by my preferences. I have decided that my preferences are superior to the principles of the Word of God. Oh, hallelujah. As I said, I feel like this will be a topic for a couple of weeks, so let me, let me kind of bring this to a close. I just want to, if you're taking notes, if you got a phone, I, I challenge you to, Write these down and think about them a little bit more later. I just want to give you a couple of thoughts with regards to this principles versus preferences. A preference is determined by me. A principle is determined by the Word of God. A preference, your preferences in the areas in which it's okay to have preferences, is up to you. You decide. You pick them. Brother Johnson, I see him back there now. 
you're getting a pickup truck, if you'd rather have a Ford than a Chevrolet, get a Ford. If you'd rather have a Dodge than a Tundra, get a Dodge. But when it comes to how you live and how you get to heaven and, 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 and the governing of your life, your preferences don't mean nothing. I mean, I think some of us misread some scriptures and stories in the Bible. Because I think the way some of us read some of them, and I'll give you one example. This, this man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And the way some of us read that story is the Lord responded to that man and said, Well, what would you like to do? <laughs> You want eternal life. What would you like to do to get it? <laughs> no. Lord, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Well, you need to keep the commandments. Don't lie. Don't do. Oh, hey, I'm good. I've done all those since I was. Okay, all right. Well, that's your preference to keep those because they're all what you don't mind keeping. One more thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Hold on. That's not what I prefer to do. Yeah, but the problem is, the principle is, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. you got to be willing to do whatever he tells you to do, whenever he tells you to do, whatever it is he tells you to do it. And so that man decided, you know what, I don't prefer to do that. And he went away sorrowful. Because he had too much to give up. A preference has a price tag. A principle does it not. I'm not sure if that's the best way to really say that. So let me put it to you this way. A preference you set how much you're willing to pay. And when the price tag goes higher than what you're willing to pay. If it's a preference, you'll walk away. A principle, it doesn't matter what it costs you. It doesn't matter how inconvenient it is. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel. A principle has no point you reach to say, you know what, I just, uh, no thanks. Principles should always govern preferences. Preferences should never determine principles. Principles should always govern your preferences. Let me, let me tell you something, in case you don't know this. If you think I... I abide by the things I abide by that have to do with leadership expectations and things that I believe are principles of the Word of God. You think I do that because I enjoy doing that? Are you crazy? My flesh is just like your flesh. By the way, totally carnal side note, but for all of you sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled people that are great law-abiding citizens, you don't need this, but for those of you that may be like me, for several nights in a row now, there's a cop that sits up at the um, 
Arnold Fire Station, just so you know. I got your back, some of you. I've had an elevated heart rate a couple times the last couple nights. There's too many people that set aside their principles because their preferences are more important to them. Your principle will get your principles will make you do stuff your preferences don't want to do. And then last one for tonight. You can make choices on a cruise ship based on your preferences. The ark is built on principles. So the only choice you have is whether or not you're going to be on it. Most of you know my wife and I went on a cruise a couple weeks ago. If you've ever been on a cruise, you know this. If you've never been on a cruise, there are all kinds of options for the stateroom you get, or excuse me, the cabin. What it, what's it called? Cabin, right? You can, you can get a room, you can get an interior room with no windows. Really cheap. Well, relatively cheap compared. You can get a room that all it has is a porthole. Then you can get a room that has balcony. You can get mini suites. You can get junior suites. You can get state room. It all has to do with your preference. You're all saying that, but we live in a world where people find ways to fulfill their preferences no matter their limitations. That's why some of you sit here tonight and are burdened down with credit card debt. Because it may not be in your wallet in green bills, but swipe the plastic. When your preferences drive you, you will pay prices you can't afford to pay. Well, I'm trying to quit, but I feel some preaching coming on right now. <laughs> Look out, Dave Ramsey. You can, you can, my wife and I, we, we, we were talking about it. It was kind of, you, I mean, it's you, you're literally thousands of people in this boat. And you could kind of tell, I don't mean this unkind, you could kind of tell they came from all kind of walks of life. And, and part of the reason that allowed that was some of them could not afford that stateroom that was a big, luxurious room with a, some of them, all they could afford was down in the hull of the ship, an interior room. You know, what was interesting, though, is you still get pretty much the same access to what everybody else gets. You just paid a cheaper price. I got, I got, I'm trying to remind myself that I said this was going to be a series, so I don't have to get it all in tonight. But it, 
unfortunately, too many churches have decided we're going to vary the cost to get on the ship. And if you don't want to pay full price, we'll make a way for you to get in. That's not the way the ark worked. I actually, this is, this is really maybe trivial, but I actually was going to, oh, I forgot, you can't. I got all my great slides and pictures and all this stuff. I got, a, I got this cool cruise ship. Look at that. I, got, I forgot, you can't see my cruise ship. I had a Bible on the last slide. I had a, oh my goodness, I keep forgetting. <laughs> and please, none of that is intended to make any kind of shade, throw shade on the media department. Not at serious, seriously, sincerely. That's not, I, it's technical stuff beyond our control. So just want to make that clear. I'm really, I'm not. One of them, my son-in-law, he's about to provide my second grandchild. I don't want him mad at me. So. <laughs> I was at, I was going to put a picture of the ark, you know, a rendering. Obviously, you can't find photos of Noah's ark. I, mean, I was going to put a rendering of Noah's ark, but you know what was interesting to me? I could not find one rendering that seemed to be consistent with the instructions God gave to Noah. Whether it was multiple doors... Or what I saw more necessarily than the multiple doors was there was multiple windows. Go, go home, do it tonight. You don't, don't do it right now. I'm teaching. Don't do it right now. Go home and Google Noah's Ark. And you'll find all kinds of renderings of Noah's Ark. And, and I didn't. I'm not saying there aren't. But I'm just telling you, I looked at dozens of them. And what I saw, not one of them was like that. God told Noah, put one door, put one. I noticed something when I reread it today. He actually told him what size to put the window. Yep. Yep. Told him how many cubits. That's right. Maybe the reason so many of those renderings of the ark are the way they are is because it's a rendering of the modern day perception of the ark. The ark is the place of salvation. It's the place of safety. If you're going to survive the flood, you've got to be on the, the ark. But it's okay if we tweak it a little bit. Tweak your house. Tweak your wardrobe. Tweak your car. But don't tweak God's ark. I believe with all of my heart, if Noah would have modified one instruction that God gave him, when those rains started and those floods opened up, that boat wouldn't have floated. God would have been starting over with another Adam and Eve, not Noah and his wife and sons and daughters-in-law. Your pastor, this is this is this is this is some pretty narrow teaching you're telling. This is some pretty restrictive teaching you're doing tonight, pastor. There. I think you ought to make it a little more broad. I don't think it should be so confining. I think it needs to be a wider road. Broad is the way. 
that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Many are on the road that leads to destruction and few. If you judge your salvation, if you judge your doctrine and what you believe by the arenas that fill up for Christian music concerts and Christian seminars and Christian events, you're judging by the wrong thing. Pastor, you're being judgmental. You're being, you're, 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 you're being judgmental. I, I really am not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to impact those that I have a responsibility for helping you to get to heaven. Because I refuse to stand before God one day and Him have to call me on the carpet because I let people's preferences change my principles that I believe are based on the Word of God. You pick your preferences when it comes to natural stuff as much as you want to. When it comes to your soul, when it comes to your salvation, it has nothing to do with your preferences. You must submit to the principles of the Word of God. Well, Pastor, what about all those people out there that don't believe what you're saying, that profess to be believers I will close with what I've said several times now. Direction is, I think I can say it this way, is as important as position. I'm a little reluctant to say it quite that plainly. But again... There's people out there that are sincerely moving in the right direction with a hunger and a desire for God. They don't know more yet. They don't understand more like Apollos, like the disciples of John. They don't know it yet. And then there's people that know all of it, have done all of it, but they're moving in the wrong... Oh, they're still in, but their heart's in the wrong direction. So you know what? Let's leave all of them and where they are in God's hands. That's right. That's right. Blows my mind how much we always want to use the extremes for our excuses. You're saying you got to be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, evidence, speak in other tongues, plan of salvation. What about the person in the Amazon that's never heard about Jesus, never had a Bible? Well, what about the billions of people that do? And what about you? Father, pray that you would help us tonight, Lord. We are, I, I know there's so many things. Your word says there's nothing new under the sun. I know going all the way back to the beginning of time, going all the way back to the children of Israel, they, were, they, they struggled to be influenced by the nations and the people around them. So much of what you told them, so much of what you were establishing in them as a nation, as a, as a congregation, was to be governed by you and not to be governed by what went on around them. So, Lord, I, they're, they're, they're in, 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 at, the, at the root of it, there's nothing new. But, but, Lord, there are some new things in our world, new ways in which we are bombarded even more. One of those ways is through media, God, that, that we... 
we are faced with things that challenge our faith, that challenge what we believe. So I pray that you would help us. I pray for every person here tonight. I pray tonight, God, for every individual that at least at this point in their lives, you would place me as the shepherd in their lives under you, God. I pray, God, that you would give them the grace to live by the principles of your word, no matter what their preferences may be, no matter what the preferences of others may be, but that we would make up our mind that it's your principles that we are going to be in step with. It's, it's your principles that are going to govern us, and we're not going to set a price tag on and we're only willing to spend so much, and then we're going to sacrifice those principles. That's We're going to lay down our lives. We're going to take up our cross and follow you. We're going to deny ourselves daily. We're going to let the principles of your word influence and govern every area of our lives. Help us tonight. And Lord, I pray. I pray if there's any individuals here tonight, any watching or any that will watch this in the future that are part of this congregation that are struggling with their beliefs, struggling in what they've been taught, what they've been told the Word of God says because of what others are telling them. I pray that you would you would give them a fresh revelation, that you would let, let them come to a place of understanding and revelation not based on what the church says, what the preacher says, what the organization says, but a confidence and a faith in the principles of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Again, thank you for being here this evening. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. Jesus.